now you start to have an idea of what to expect. Maybe, maybe not. Just an idea. Whatever you expect, it's never going to happen the way you are uh, wishing. <laughs> so. so, we still have some questions, and uh, I will deal with them uh, slowly. And I don't know if it will, it will be satisfying the way it is replied. And actually, I put the first uh, one of the first questions that I, 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 I put is uh, uh, seems to be a little bit uh, appropriate, and uh, it is dealing in about uh, the daily life, especially in the West. Uh, it does. Uh, it often seems that the people are in a perpetual hurry or rush. So. Can you give advice on how to maintain slowness and calm and uh, rest? Um, sorry, calm and awareness, probably. I think I'm not sure. Anyway, and how to maintain slowness and calm? particularly when surrounded by these, by those in a rush. So, uh, this is true, like the world, like not only the world is in a rush, but uh, the world also is in a hurry, and also people are actually, uh, the many people are, are running, but they don't know after what. So when we look at the world, sometimes we see people rushing, and sometimes we wonder, what are they rushing for? What is their aim? So, in life we need to have an aim, we need to have a purpose, this is very important. So if we have an idea of what we are doing, there may not be such a problem to have a rush. That means, if we need to do things fast, it can be done fast, and we can do them fast. There is no problem there. The problem is when we are not able to stop the rushing, when we are not able to stop the, that uh, ceaseless activity, and then, then when, when we are caught in a, in a turmoil, actually, this is a big trouble. And uh, so, uh, first of all, if we, are, if we are able to develop some uh, the general mindfulness, then uh, it will combine uh, our physical verbal and mental actions. So if we are aware of what we are doing physically, verbally and mentally, we are quite uh, safe. And uh, this aspect of mindfulness has to be combined, like also you can remind yourself, or we, t we talk about the clear awareness, or not clear awareness, but sati sampajanya, clear understanding. And these were divided in four. And uh, like you may remember, the clear understanding, or yeah, the clear understanding of uh, the purpose, clear understanding also of our um, the usefulness or the appropriateness. You know, sataka. This is the purpose, first one, and then sapaya, uh, the suitability. And then after that, gochara, sampajana, that means 
what do we feed our mind with, mostly, which type of meditation or which type of uh, thinking do we have in our mind when we are doing things. And then, of course, the fourth one, that is, if somebody is able to carry a non-deluded non type of mind when the activities also are going on. So, if we are able to combine all the time mindfulness with what we are doing, it is fine together with these uh, four uh, types of uh, clear understanding. And sometimes also if we find actually that we are going too fast, which very often we will be doing, then we can reduce the speed of uh, the physical activity especially. And then by focusing uh, our attention on, on the physical activities, and then by slowing down <laughs> Uh, by putting our attention there, then it's a factor that will bring, it's a general factor or gross factor that will bring our uh, mindfulness in the present moment. That means we will have a, a point of reference where we can stabilize the mind something again on the what is going on. And then when we know what is going on, because sometimes we are, the, the, the mind is going so fast that we are doing things and the mind is still going faster than that. So uh, to stop the mind uh, running ahead of uh, what, is, what is happening right now, to bring the mind to, the, to what we are actually doing by slowing down the movement is very helpful. So sometimes we can also have a rest or, or if we are doing some things and then it becomes uh, something that is uh, so fast, you know, then if we have the possibility just to actually stay in the position. So we just stop, you know, if it is possible. Like if it is possible, then we just stop. Either we stand up or we sit or we, we are lying down. Maybe it, maybe not be, it may not be appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, even like eating, they, like there is a meditation, you know, that uh, like uh, exploited or developed with the, with the Vietnamese, the Thich Nhat Hanh, the Venerable Thich Nhat Hanh. And then uh, in his uh, presentation, uh, they use a bell as a sign of reference for, for, for mindfulness. So sometimes during the day, people are doing things and then they will, they will ring a special bell and that bell will be uh, telling people to stop whatever they are doing. So th suppose they are all eating together and then they are talking together, then there will be a bell and it's a bell of silence. And then when the bell is, is struck, people have to, to stay in silence for about one minute. So it's very nice because people are talking and then they are, we are not sometimes aware of what we are talking about. So just stop and then you just see the thoughts going on. And then after that you, you start talking again after one minute, you know. But also if you are by yourself and then you are rushing some kind of activity, there is no problem. You are just aware of what you are doing and that's fine. Because also, if, you com if we combine the, the mindfulness together with the clear understanding, then uh, if we fulfill the second type of uh, clear understanding, that is suitability and also purpose, then it's okay because we know that what we are doing is what uh, we have to do and it is what can be done in this uh, specific condition, in this specific uh, situation. So then it does not bring any conflict with the mind and then when we have finished to do the activity, then the mind is very clear. So 
mindfulness also is directed or you know clarity or calm or meditation is regarding every aspect of our life so the aspect of sila it brings also uh, in spectrum the, the activities themselves so to give quality to what we are doing uh, is what is important so sometimes things should be done fast but uh, it should not be done faster than uh, than what it uh, what it really requires and uh, also the speed in which we are going to give to an activity should not uh, impinge or should not disturb the the, the 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 balance of our mind and this is the big problem i mean this is the issue if we are able to keep a balanced mind when we are doing something then it's okay whether it is fast or it or it is not fast So anyway, to ensure the question, uh, the thing is to be able to keep track of our mind. So this is the key because the mind actually is the is the is the is the mo- is the most important factor that will contribute to uh, to have the body function in a, in whichever uh, speed it is functioning. So to to keep track of the mind is the key. But also, like in daily life, if we are able to uh, to keep a regular practice of meditation, then it is very helpful. So, uh, in the morning and the evening, then we can review, or you know, we can calm down the mind and and, and come back to a state of uh, of peacefulness and clarity. And this will help us during the day. So, the 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 the, the continuity that we will keep during. Uh, you know, these moments also will support, like in the daytime. In the daytime, if we are just stopping for five minutes or ten minutes, you know, if we are at work or if you just stop for a few minutes and then you bring your mind inside and uh, you do, uh, you know, you, you do, you just, uh, uh, even if your eyes are open, you just come back to inside and you, you, you settle, you compose the mind again uh, inside and then. Uh, then, then the balance will be uh, re-established very fast because also everything else is stable. You know what you are doing, and everything is okay. But also the, the surrounding sometimes is a, has a big influence on ourselves. So when we see people rushing around us, then we can remind ourselves, well, you know, I do my job and then they do their job and whatever speed they want to, to go on uh, running in life, it's up to them. So we have to keep a kind of a reminder to ourselves that uh, it's, not that, uh, it's not because everybody does something that we should do the same. And it's not that because everybody do something that it is the right thing to do. So anyway, just to come to come to come back to uh, the state of calmness uh, inside ourselves. Here there was, you know, the a second note, and there was a note on the on the billboard re- related to uh, to the. Uh, you know, two months ago we spoke about uh, the heart transplant. Uh, so somebody here, actually, it is the second time that uh, that note uh, appears, and the, the, that note was related to uh, 
uh, to, to the person who asked the question re regarding the heart transplantation. And uh, uh, there was a suggestion that uh, uh, about a, a book, you know, that can be read about that. And they say here that uh, the French philosopher named Jean-Luc Jean Nanois wrote a short book called The, the Intruder describing his experience of having a heart transplant. So uh, I didn't read the book, but I, if you want to, to consult that book, it may be, uh, it may be interesting. But uh, uh, I read it here because also regarding the heart transplantation that we spoke about uh, you know, two months ago, uh, the, the point of view of Buddhism is that uh, the mind itself is not in the heart. The mind itself is in the blood, right? The, not the mind, but the base of the mind is depending on the blood. It's not depending on the heart as the organ. And then since the blood also is passing through the heart, then we see that the, the, the physical uh, base for the mind is the heart. But this still is in the commentary. Although the, the, the prevalent view of the ancient India, even before the Buddha, in the Vedic time, was that the, the, the base, the physical base of the art, of the mind, was in the art. So the Buddha did not contradict it, but also he did not specifically say, oh, the, the, the art is in, the, the mind is in the heart, or the mind is in the brain, or he didn't say, uh, specifically where it is located and also in the Abhidhamma without the commentaries of the Abhidhamma they say when they relate to the physical base of the mind they say uh, just uh, whatever physical base is for the mind this is what is called the, phys the physical base of the mind so the term for example Adaya which means art so the term Adaya Vatu in the Abhidhamma is a term used by the commentaries of the Abhidhamma. But uh, to come back to the art, art, art transplantation is that uh, yeah. I think the question was, uh, was uh, in, in, in regard, okay, now if somebody is having a heart transplant, then, then the, the mind of another person will creep in, or something like that. So it's not, uh, it will not be the case. And, uh, that, that book, you know, like uh, I guess I didn't read it, but that book may refer definitely to a feeling of intrusion. Because, I mean, can you imagine having an art from another person, even if it's a human being? It's a foreign thing. So the heart is the most uh, sensitive uh, uh, organ of our body. So if we have, you know, if you even have a finger transplant or eye transplant, you will feel, I guess, that uh, you have a foreign body, uh, you know, uh, blocked or put on your own body. So that body itself will always have some kind of, uh, eventually it will get adapted, you know, me the medical uh, experience will prove that it will eventually be adapted to your own body. Huh? But still, I think to some extent it will remain a, for a foreign organ or it will remain a kind of a foreign tissue at least for a, a quite a good while. Any comment on that? Yeah. 
Yes. Like uh, the, the commentaries to the the commentaries to the Abhidhamma. The, the, the Abhidhamma says that there is a physical base to the body, but it doesn't say where. But the commentary to the Abhidhamma say that the base for the mind, the physical base for the mind is the Adhyavatu. That means the heart base. Well, you know, like uh, this term actually is is related not necessarily to to uh, to the physical uh, base. It is related like uh, like uh, the heart in the sense of oh, I have that person, I have that person in my heart, or now I have a broken heart, or now I have an elated heart. You know, so the the the, 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 the that meaning or that terms uh, refers to the mind itself. Yeah, so, so yeah, no, no, it, it, refer, it refers to Adaya. So the term Adaya in Pali is very often uh, translated and also is uh, often referring to the mind itself. So the mind can be called also Adaya. So the Adaya will be the same as Chitta. So that's why they say, uh, as English translation, uh, I have. Uh, loving kindness in the heart or something like that. So it doesn't mean the physical heart. It means that the, I have uh, loving kindness in my mind or you know, a, la- a mind full of uh, a good heart. So a good heart is not the physical heart and it's not, yeah, it's, it's the heart uh, in the sense of uh, emotional heart that we are referring to in the, in, in the Western terminology. Pardon me? The, the author of the book? Yes. Nancy. Nancy, okay, okay. Thank you. Yes. Ah, yes, see. Si. Yes, Nancy. So, does that person think that uh, he is living with somebody else? Or that person, did you read the book? So is the feeling that uh, the person is feeling that he has a double personality or is just feel that there is a, a stranger or the, the, the organ itself is just like a beating to an extent that he doesn't want? In, in sort of philosophical terms, he describes what I perceive as a, as a strong sense of anatta and the interbeing of, um, of existence because I think the perception is that it's an intrusion but then after all of the procedure and all of the uh, mechanics of it, it's, it is, um, you are the same person, but you are everyone at the same time. And it's just an interchange of, of kalapas, if you want to see it like that. So it's, but he doesn't write it in a philosophical way. It's very, um, it's a very, it's a very good book. Mm-hmm. So you can read it one day.
Once I heard Sardo saying, it's better to sit on the floor rather than on a chair. Is it a question of tradition or is there any advantage at all to sit cross-legged on the floor? So the, the advantage is just to, to sit cross-legged because the cross-legged position brings a kind of... Uh, the, the, the body is more compact, so the position, cross-legged position is more... Uh, is very conducive for the meditation, whether it's on the floor or... Uh, on a chair. Yes, like, like the question is, re, is, is uh, was in relation to the sitting position. So the, if you are to sit, then the sitting position in cross leg is very conducive. But of course, the meditation has to be pursued in all the four postures. And then also the four postures are convenient for some people. So depending on the temperament, you may find more suitable uh, to walk for your meditation. That's perfectly okay. So some people find that walking is more conducive to their meditation. So in that case, they can emphasize walking. And uh, some also find that uh, uh, lying down is the best position for them because of physical difficulties or for whatever, dif uh, uh, whatever reasons. And also some people find the, the stand standing up also more conducive. So... Uh, whichever position we are adapting, then it's okay. You know, meditation can be pursued. And uh, then in the case of the lying posture, uh, it is also good, but uh, the inconvenience or the, the, the danger there is that uh, uh, we can fall asleep more, more easily. So uh, the degree of attention needs to be uh, stronger. So the mind needs to be... Uh, uh, more prompted so that it does not fall asleep, that's all. But uh, if somebody is able to maintain uh, uh, a wakefulness and the clarity of consciousness uh, when the person is lying down, and it is very good. And also a lying down posture also should be practiced. But the only tendency is that, okay, now you are lying down and you so realize that uh, the mind is uh, very fast, very quickly uh, away from the... Uh, from the meditation. When practicing metta or mudita in daily life for a year and dear one, how to tell if the practice uh, veers off a bit into attachment? So, uh, I think uh, the thing also uh, we can see that if it is a genuine feeling of metta, it can start with our own relative or people very close to us. And uh, that can be a genuine feeling, but uh, we have to see that that feeling is not limited to our family or that feeling is not uh, limited to our relative. So if we see that uh, that quality of metta, uh, we are able to, to, to pervade it to our neighbors and, uh, and then we are able to keep the same quality of metta towards anyone, then that means it's quite good. Huh? 
it, that means it's a good uh, state of mind and it's a good state of metta and uh, this is also uh, very positive like if we are not able so, so to be able to uh, to start with the people surrounding us even if they are uh, closely uh, linked with attachments then at least the, the feeling is there and uh, that feeling should be developed to every uh, every every beings in the in the universe as much as possible so whether the uh, feeling or the, 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 the practice of metta is uh, inclining towards attachment when we are practicing it towards a loved one, then uh, we have to see also that uh, uh, if, the, if our metta towards the, 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 the loved one is uh, stable or if it is changing when uh, these people are not doing what we want, or if, this, if these people also are not fulfilling the, uh, what we are expecting of them and things like this. So we will, see our, we will see if it is really based on attachment. If We will see also if it is based on, uh, on, the, well, on attachment when they are changing. So when they are changing, if we have really, really meta, uh, then uh, our meta will still uh, remain the same. But if we get upset or or if the if the if the meta is the diminishing because of uh, the 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 change in their uh, attitude or in the change in their behavior that means that uh, well there may be something lacking in our meta also if we are uh, needing them to fulfill our uh, meta then it's not very good like i mean it's a type of meta that is very dependent and the real meta is uh, when you don't need the persons to make to make you happy. So that happiness is a feeling of metta, and then that metta can be spread or it can be uh, given to all kinds of beings. So you don't need somehow you don't need the specific beings to make you happy. You don't need the the, the, the beings to uh, 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 to feed to feed the, the, the these qualities because. Uh, any beings will do so, not only the, those that are to whom you are attached to. Here, uh, I have stated that uh, you don't. I have st you have stated that you don't uh, know of any living arats. Indeed, it seems. I know you, you, any uh, living arats. Indeed, it seems the most that is attainable by a very diligent lay person is the first or second path. Those who attain these have a longer leash, to use your metaphor, but their lives are still a collection of small happiness rather than the enduring happiness of full liberation. So this is true, that it's a collection of small happiness, but still uh, the happiness is a, is a little bit more than the other people. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of, so speaking of this very, of this life only, what makes a practice worthwhile, given that, the, that we have virtually no hope? of complete uh, freedom. 
So the, 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 what makes uh, the practice worthwhile is that uh, we can extend the, the leash a little bit. So as much as we can extend the leash, the leash, then the, as that much we can get wisdom, we can get uh, liberation, we can get freedom. So that's wonderful. So if we are just aiming at the, the big goal, you know, and then we say no, no, the, that goal is, is too far then we, we drop out everything and then we will never reach it. But if we are able to, uh, to enjoy the, the, the little fruits that are uh, coming on the way, then, then we, can, uh, uh, well, we can benefit by, uh, by these fruits that we gain on the path. And also, uh, like when we are practicing, it's obvious that uh, when we are practicing, we see the advantages. So the advantages are... They are, they, are, they are wonderful, as you know. So, this is the reason we practice, because we get some results here and now. But liberation will come, total, total freedom will come, maybe, uh, well, sometimes, but uh, we don't need to, 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 to be discouraged by it. And also, we don't need to expect uh, something, uh, we don't need to, 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 to build up our freedom uh, in regard to something that has not yet come, we can still we are building building freedom by being more free now. So what we are doing now is contributing to uh, to to what we want in the future. Yes, the more we practice, the more we feel the motivation. And also, uh, the less we practice, and then the more we feel what, uh, what we are missing. Because sometimes we don't see the advantage, you know, so we stop practicing, and then at that time we say, oh, wow, it's worse, you know. So, if we don't want to make it worse, then at least we, we, we get the advantage that, uh, that, that we think that is not so uh, advantageous. Yeah, I would think that um, to have sort of partners, the goal would be quite, quite sufficient in many ways. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. No longer will be reborn in the lower realms. Mm-hmm. The realms, the worst that you can get. Yes. You won't break the five precepts. Yes. What a wonderful thing. You never yes. 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 Yes, 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 that's it. So, so I did not uh, uh, spoke about the, the, the advantage or, or that we are getting because, uh, because, because you know. But uh, these are the advantages, like uh, just the fact of understanding the, the usefulness and the, the benefit we get by observing sila of the five precepts. It is wonderful. So if somebody in his mind, uh, and this is the mind of a sotapanna, the sotapanna will not be reborn in hell or in bad destinations. Not because of the good come. It, because of the good karma, but not because of uh, some kind of magic that happened somewhere. But it's because the person has realized the, the worthiness of just the f- observing the five precepts. So the person is so aware of, uh, con- of, uh, of uh, consequences, and also the, the person is so uh, aware of the importance and also the value of uh, respecting life in general, 
that uh, it is impossible for that person to, bre to break the, the five precepts. So if the person is not breaking the five precepts, then automatically uh, the, 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 the rebirth into lower realms is not, uh, is not possible. Yes, you are thinking, huh? <laughs> yes, we need to think. So, is it is is our thoughts uh, able to to lead us towards uh, hell, towards bad bad de destination? Like for the karma to be operative, it needs also to be uh, to be done. So if we are breaking the sila on a mental level, if we think oh, I'm really going to smash that person's head or something, you know, if it's only a thought, then it's not breaking the sila. So uh, because the person, the, 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 the restraint will be maintained physically. So uh, in that case, the sila is not broken. So if it's only mental, it may not have the potential to uh, to bring you to 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 bad states of uh, of rebirth. This is what they say. They say that because the mind has a, has a kind of stable purity, then it can it cannot go uh, downward. But in any case, in any case, you know, uh, the more we practice, the more we see. Uh, the need to observe the precepts and also the more we see the advantage we have by keeping the precepts because it gives us uh, a good conscious a good consciousness and also it, it helps to, uh, to, 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 to keep uh, to keep us in a clear state of mind so these are the uh, obvious advantages that we, we can gain I have read the phrase, as the mind becomes more refined, the body becomes more refined. What does a refined body mean? Also, does it mean the, the other way? If the body becomes more refined, does the mind follow? So, uh, I don't know what is the reference uh, exactly uh, talking about, but sometimes... Uh, the body also can refer to the physical body, to the mental body. So we have the, the, the mind itself, which is citta, and then also the mental body uh, that is accompanying the, 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 that consciousness is called, uh, the, it's, called also, it's also called the body. So, uh, so when the mind becomes more refined, also the mental factors also that are the body, it becomes uh, also the mental body this also becomes more refined. But in case that uh, uh, it is referring also to the physical body, that is uh, a refinement of the, of the, of the body, uh, we will say, I think, uh, like the, the, the what we are thinking, what we are always uh, dwelling on is having an effect on our body. So definitely the body, if we are practicing meditation, will become more uh, sensitive and also some of the gross type of uh, perceptions also will be, well, perception is uh, related to the mind. So, uh, but uh, it, will have, it, it will just have an impact on, on the body. And also the, the refinement of the mind actually will have the impact on the body in the, sen in, in the way of our behavior. So because the mind is very pure, or if the mind is pure, 
then the behavior of physical or verbal also will also be, be pure. And also, if the mind is calm, then also the body will be calm. So, what we are calling manners, good manners, social manners, you know, but what we are calling good manners really start with the mind. So, because the mind is pure, then also the physical actions also will be very pure, and also there, 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 there won't be... Uh, if there is no agitation in the mind, then the body will not be agitated and just there will be mindfulness. And also the body itself will express the, the peace that the mind may be dwelling on. So in that way, the body is being refined because of the mind. And also the mind also can, have, can also affect some of the uh, uh, subtle... Uh, aspect of our body. So uh, this is how, this is how uh, the mind, the refined mind can also refine the body. But also how the refined body could uh, refine the mind. This, in that case, it will refer, I think, mostly to the, uh, uh, to the, to the good actions that we are doing. So if we are doing always good actions with the body and then with the, with the speech, then also the mind will be affected by that because the mind will be happy. So even at the beginning, if you are angry or you are upset with something, and then you do something good physically, although you are in a bad mood, then the feedback you get out of that is, oh, wow, you become very happy because you are doing good things. So this is our body, our body actions, actually, are affecting the mind. And also that's why sometimes uh, some people are using the, 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 the sila, the precepts, they are using it to, to, as a point of reference because they have so much difficulty to deal with their mind because it's, yes, the mind is not always easy to control. So because the mind, is, the, the, the mind is difficult to control by itself, at least if they have a very good control of all their physical activities, then it will give a kind of a stand for the mind to, to, to be in a good mood. So if you refrain from doing every little, this single uh, unwholesome deeds by way of uh, actions, physical or also by way of verbal actions, then these things will have an incredible, incredible uh, impact on, on your mind. Sometimes also this, this uh, uh, principle can be seen with the, with the monk's rules. We have uh, 227 monks' rules, and also for the nuns, I mean, you have more than 300 rules for the nuns. So, can you imagine, like, if you follow all these rules, the impact it can have on your mind? So, of course, there are two ways to deal with it, you know, like, if you have a pure mind, then also the actions will be pure. But also, uh, by purifying or by following a kind of a, a verbal and physical discipline, it will have an impact on the mind. So this is all, this is just uh, to that extent, I think that uh, a refined mind can have an impact on the, on the, on, on refining the body and uh, uh, vice versa. Yeah, also there was a note, you know, that I'd like to, to specify. Uh, like uh, last time I spoke about beauty, you know, the mentioning about Subha Vimoka, the liberation by the beautiful. 
And uh, then I refer to that in regard to, uh, to somebody who is practicing uh, metta. So when we are practicing metta or the other brahma we are, then the mind becomes very beautiful because everything, all the objects becomes, we see the beauty in them. Hmm? And also the mind itself has a very uh, beautiful quality. So this is uh, uh, what I was referring by beauty. But anyway, also everything that we see tends to be seen as beautiful. So the person who is having a mind of metta and also that type of... Uh, uh, mental setup will uh, will easily pick up beautiful things like the colors, especially that's all. So if you see, uh, like the beauty here is related to the colors, and then also the liberation by the beautiful is the liberation that is done mostly with the casina exercises with the four uh, colors. So you see the beautiful uh, blue or yellow or red or white, and then from there. Uh, easily the mind will get absorbed in that and you develop the jhana. So this is what is called uh, liberation by the beautiful. But also the person will have his life, all will have, his life will be a life of, uh, of uh, beauty because the mind is always uh, in that state. So anyway, to in, related, in relation to the, to the point here is that uh, beauty, like paintings or photos, is semi-permanent, but truly only a copy of the real, which we can never own and never hold. This is true. To be liberated by the beautiful is a state of permanent uh, suffering. Uh, I would not say so because uh, the person is liberated even from the beautiful. So the beautiful is just a mean to be liberated. So instead of being liberated by suffering or by, you know, you are liberated by the beautiful. But then also you are liberated of the, of the beautiful itself because the beautiful itself or these states of consciousness that depend on the beautiful are also impermanent and they are also a source of suffering if you are clinging to them. But, uh, but the states of mind that they, that they bring, will, we can lead you also to a state of freedom. So here the, the question follows, not the question, but the statement. It does not mean, it does not really matter how heavy your bags are, so long as you can carry them. So the thing is that uh, if somebody, if we are practicing uh, metta, then we are not, uh, we don't want to carry people on our shoulders. And then we don't want to, we don't need to carry the world on our shoulders, but we see the world with a beautiful mind. So we are caring for these people. We are caring, caring for uh, all beings. And then we have compassion for all beings. We, it can follow with action. It should follow with the action. But uh, the idea is, uh, is in the mind. So if we are seeing uh, all beings as uh, being beautiful, or if we are... Uh, practicing also the, the, the compassion and things like this, uh, it makes the mind much, much lighter. We become much lighter, so we don't carry a bigger bag. Because, uh, uh, because also it gives us the possibility to, 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 to drop the very heavy bag of anger, disappointment, and upset, and desire, everything. So when we are full of metta, all these defilements go away. 
So the mind becomes real light. So that's why it is a liberation. That's why it's called liberation by the beautiful. So uh, the liberation by the beautiful being a mean. So it's a mean to achieve a name. So the mean actually is the peacefulness that you get from these states. And it's a peacefulness related to the, to the samatha practice because it's connected with, uh, with jhana. So with the metta, we can get the jhana. So if somebody is always in, in the state of metta, then it just, the person just closes his eyes, or even with eyes open, the person can go in the jhana. So the jhana by itself is just uh, like the, the, the way it is described in, in the books, uh, like just in regard, only one jhana factor, the jhana factors of PT. It can uplift even the body to, to the extent of floating in the air. So what do you talk about? Heavy load. It's not heavy at all. You become very light. You can even fly in the air. So, uh, so that's all. I think the, the liberation by the beautiful, it should be understood just as a mean. So, uh, just as a mean to make the, the life more easy, easy, and just a means to, to make the, 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 the life also more agreeable. That's all. But uh, uh, it is not a mean at all to, you know, to, uh, to make more uh, uh, things to carry. Yes. 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 Yes, and this is like a, like a, you have also four types of liberation. You have the samat four types of approaches. So you have somebody who will practice samatha first, and then vipassana. You have somebody who start with vipassana first, and then after that uh, samatha. And uh, a person will, will will combine the two samatha and vipassana yoke together. And also you have a four type of person who will just be dry inside throughout. So, uh, when, whenever the, the aspect of samatha is included here, uh, then this can fit in. So the practice of metta, if, if it is done before, it is samatha, pabangama, vipassana, yanika. So the person is practicing the, the brahma Uyara and he is using, use, using that as a resting place. It, he is using that also to, 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 to strengthen the mind. And then when, when the mind is strengthened, then the, when the person is doing the vipassana, then the insight uh, is done also on the, on the states of mind that is uh, uh, in, the, in the jhana, also all kinds of, uh, all kinds of uh, phenomenon also. But uh, the person just has the possibility to use the, the samatha as a resting place. And this is the difference, like uh, somebody who doesn't have the resting place is uh, like walking in a desert and then you are just walking egg all the time in, in the harshness of uh, the land and in the harshness and the aridity of uh, the environment. Whereas somebody who has some basis of samatha, then when the person is doing inside practice, although it's very difficult or, you know, the person is seeing anicca all the time and dukkha and anatta, Still, when the person wants, then he can have a, a break and, and can have a rest in the, in the samatha states. So that's why 
those who are uh, Samatha Yanika, if it is combined uh, with uh, the Vipassana, then it's, it is the easiest uh, path because all the time the person has the possibility to, to have a rest in this uh, peaceful state of mind. And definitely they are not permanent and definitely also they are conditioned, but still uh, they, 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 they can give a kind of a really a good, uh, a good rest. And also it can bring uh, a lot of balance and a lot of happiness although it is a, a conditioned type of happiness. Here, why does a conceit arise? What are the conditions? Is the conceit part of the ego? Uh, yes, conceit is a it's not part of, of the ego, but uh, um, it is in relation to the ego. So we can be conceited about uh, being superior, being inferior, or being equal to other people. So the conceit of I, me, mine, this is what it refers to. But uh, why does the conceit arise? I guess it arises because of the delusion of the uh, delusion and also uh, the ignorance or maybe also the, the different types of uh, um, wrong, wrong, uh, uh, wrong types of view or here yeah, also the, there is a term you know that is, uh, that, that is speaking about uh, how people uh, some, some translations for that word is uh, hallucinations and the, the Pali word is uh, vipalasa and they, they say that you have hallucination of view, and the, or hallucination of sanya, or hallucination of mind. So we are seeing, we are projecting things on 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 the, on the environment. We are projecting things on ourselves, and then because of this false uh, projection of uh, view of perception and of mind, then we we believe or conceit is arising. Uh, but also to, you know, uh, like it's uh, a little bit useless to elaborate on that. But uh, the question also was asked how to, how to uh, get rid of uh, the idea or the conceit, I am. Ask me, mana, how to get rid of the conceit, I am. Uh, since also we are going to come back again on the principle uh, or the concept of emptiness, then... Uh, then we can, you, the person who asked the question can refer to the Mahasunyata uh, Sutta in the Majjhima Nikaya, the, the greater discourse on, the, uh, on emptiness. And there it is, it is, it is, it is, it is saying that uh, if somebody sees the five aggregates, because what we identify ourselves with is just uh, the five aggregates. So that's all. Of course, the five aggregates can be, as you know, uh, analyzed by way of uh, nama or rupa, or it can be analyzed by way of ayatana, or by way of datu, or by way of uh, uh, other means. But uh, it all it's the same as being the aggregate. So uh, in that sutta, they say how somebody should see the five aggregates. And, uh, and then they say that if, if a person uh, such a person sees the five aggregates uh, by way of such is a rising of 
Rupa, such is the, the perishing of uh, Rupa, and then such is the arising of Vedana, such is the perishing of uh, Vedana, etc., with the five uh, class, then uh, the person uh, is abandoning the conceit I am. So, uh, to abandon the, the, the conceit I am is, uh, is by destroying the, the, the wrong perception of permanence or the wrong perception, yeah, mostly the, the, wrong, the wrong perception of, uh, of permanence because this is what is uh, strengthening uh, the idea of a self. But if we look properly, then there is no self. And uh, the self also cannot exist if, if things are, are decomposed into components and also if these components are seen as anicca impermanent. So here is just a simple quotation where it is giving the, the, the number one remedy to, uh, to get rid of our problem of conceit. Here also, like I should not rush, but uh, this is a long question, or it can be elaborated. But I will give also some uh, reference so that we can, uh, you can go again with the specific uh, uh, quotations that that I will I will give, you know. And uh, it is relating to the uh, the similarities between. Uh, that can be seen and known in the following experiences. The states of uh, Upeka that is based on the fourth jhana, which I think can be referred to as unified equanimity, or the Brahma as in the Brahma Vihara. Upeka also of the um, Yes, Upeka here. Yeah. The practice, Brahma Vihara practice of Upeka. And then also in relating, in relation to the uh, Sunyata emptiness. And in the experience of the equanimity of formations in the progress of insight with the Vipassana practice. Um, uh, so the, the reference that I did also quote before is about uh, the definition of Upeka. And uh, it is in the Visuddhimagga. The Visuddhimagga, the exact number is uh, like it would be too long again to, uh, to go into the details, but uh, they refer to 10 types of uh, Upekka. It is the chapter 4, the chapter 4, and then paragraph uh, 167. And uh, And then here the question is the 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 the, the upeka based on the fourth jhana. So upeka based of the, the fourth jhana upeka is one type of upeka, and it all, it is also referring to the, the upeka of the of the vedana. So it's a, it is also referring to the upeka of the vedana. So it, there is a difference here with this type of uh, four jhana upeka and also the unified equanimity, which is, I guess, I don't know the, that term in English, 
but uh, but uh, there is uh, one type of equanimity tatramajatata that is called and uh, this is the even mindedness and uh, the even mindedness as the we, as the tra they translate it here is the is a mental factors that it is, is a, it is a mental factor that accompany uh, all of the jhana states even the first jhana you have that type of uh, equanimity and also in other uh, mental states in in also other, other uh, types of consciousness you have that type of equanimity and also the equanimity of the brahma vihara as the upeka is also different not only it has the the the, the upeka of the of the feeling but also it has the upeka as a seeing the beings as a as the the owner of their own kamma so anyway uh, there are 10 types of uh, upeka here and uh, I think we can uh, we can refine a little bit the definition here because uh, the person doesn't seem to me to 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 make too much uh, difference with uh, with these types of upekka. So the question, the second relation that uh, we want to make is uh, in regard to the sunyata. It is sunyata, by the way, not sunata. The, the relation with the sunyata, that is emptiness. Uh, so also sunyata, we have seen, you know, a, a very uh, uh, superficially last week about uh, about uh, some of uh, aspect of, of that. But uh, there is the sunyata, the emptiness of uh, the voidness. If 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 there is the absence, or if something is devoid of something, then already it is a, it is a state of uh, sunyata. So sunyata can be done by way of uh, samata. That means uh, when we are practicing samatha, then there, there, there can be the sunyata, the devoid or the voidness of hindrances, or the, there can also be the voidness of uh, what we are not observing. Like uh, if you practice the, the kasina, then you don't see people, or if you are in the forest, you don't see people. And uh, then these objects will make uh, something not being present so it will make your mind present to something and then by being present to something the other things will be devoid of uh, of that from from that so uh, that uh, aspect of uh, sunyata in the samatha can be uh, developed to a very high degree like all the the four upajanas have, have, have an aspect of sunyata and also the Arupa jhana, immaterial jhana, also have an aspect of the sunyata, like when someone is uh, uh, doing the infinite space. So that person is, a, is, is, a, is completely devoid of any perception of materiality. The person is not perceiving anything material, he's just in the infinite space. So infinite space by itself is very uh, empty. So it is empty actually of materiality here. And then uh, the other, uh, the other uh, immaterial states also have a state, have a quality of emptiness in, re in regard to specific things. But also, the emptiness also can sometimes be related to the third uh, immaterial state of uh, the immaterial state of nothingness, 
Huh? Akin Chenya Yatana, the base of nothingness. And uh, the difference here with uh, the concept of sunyata and uh, the, the base of nothingness, if we are just using the English word, then uh, the base of nothingness as a, an immaterial state of consciousness will refer to the concept of nothing. So we concentrate our mind on nothing. Nothing at all. So nothing is the object of our mind. Nothing. So you concentrate on nothing. But it's possible. So we can make a concept of that. Yes. So we can make a concept of that. So the English word here is, is nothing at all, huh? not nothing. But uh, emptiness, <coughs> emptiness as such, uh, the difference in the, in the terminology with English will be like a no thing. That means no thing, not nothing, no thing. So there it's, it is different. So that means, anyway, we will also go further with this. Uh, I mean, I will not... Uh, Lose you in the, yes? Would it be accurate to say, is the distinction you're making that nothing can be an object yes. of awareness, but emptiness can't be an object awareness? It's yes. It's, it's the state of, of being uh, empty of something. Yes. Yes, but also it can have an object, and then I will, I will develop a little bit further. You can ask uh, some more questions. Uh, so now, so now we were we dealt with the with the English terminology, but also uh, interest, in, interesting uh, quotation that we can refer to, you know, in the Mahasunyata uh, Sutta, the greater discourse on emptiness. Then there, uh, I don't know. Sorry, it is another another Sutta, uh, the Sunat Sunakata. Mm. It is uh, Sunakata. Ah, no, sorry, I am still confusing you. So, anyway, the name of the other sutta that I want to refer is the number 106 in the English translation of the Majjhima Nikaya, and the name is Aningja Sapaya. That means the way to the imperturbable. Yes. And uh, there, they explain different grades of the way to get the, to the imperturbable. And then the imperturbable <laughs> <laughs> relates actually to the immaterial states of the four jhana. But one state, one, one um, state of, uh, of this imperturbable is, is actually, is actually <laughs> the base of nothingness. So the base of nothingness is a concept that, is, that has been exploited a lot in a spiritual uh, uh, search throughout the, the centuries and also in India. And uh, the commentary that, uh, that uh, Bikut, Bikut Bodhi is translating in, in his, uh, as translated in his note also give more a specific reference to it. And, uh, uh, And uh, it can be attained, that means the base, the immaterial base of, uh, of uh, nothingness, huh? the immaterial base of nothingness can be attained by people who, uh, like the ascetics in these days, they will go to the forest and then, and then they will think, they will repeat to themselves, uh, 
uh, the ceasing of all perceptions is really the most peaceful state. So they think, oh, if my perceptions was, were to cease, then it will be very peaceful. So the more they think about that, and the more they incline their mind towards this, then they reach a certain state that could be referred to the base of nothingness. Uh, then the second way that the, the base of nothingness can be reached is by just thinking or reflecting this is void of a self or of what belongs to a self. And the, the Pali word also is, uh, is very beautiful. But uh, the person will just be repeating that. And it seems that these, uh, these mantra or these uh, slogans were used as a, as a prayer or it, were, it was used as a, as a principle of philosophy. And then the people will always repeat, repeat that. Repeat that. This is void of a self or of what belongs to a self. So by repeating that, when they stop to repeat it, then they, goes to, they go to the base of nothingness. And then there is another, a third way that is explained how to go to the base of nothingness of uh, the immaterial jhana. And somebody will say or somebody will think, I am not anything belonging to anyone anywhere, nor is there anything belonging to me in anyone anywhere. So these principles also were used by non-Buddhists. And we can see that these principles were just... The, the, the person could, could attain a lot of detachment. The person could attain a lot of peace and a lot of uh, relinquishment because he will go into these states of mind. But uh, uh, because it will not be supported by the inside that actually uh, is uh, 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 taught in the, in, the, in the Buddhist approach, then it will just be uh, conceptual. That means it will just be um, on the base of concentration. Mostly, it will support like the, what the attainment will uh, will lead us is to the base of nothingness. This is what they say there. And also, I, now I remember because I have I have read in a book, you know, that uh, in some yoga practice. Uh, they just uh, they just f focus on their on their finger, you know, or the thumb, you know, and then they say like this: they f they f my thumb, my thumb, my thumb. You know, they focus, and then all in a sudden, after after a while, you know, they say <laughs> like this, and then nothing, 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 <laughs> and then they go into state of nothingness. So, so there are many variations, but uh, just to say, you know, just to say that the state of nothingness as a many types of uh, approaches and also uh, many types of uh, uh, results. But uh, so this is, uh, the, the, these descriptions are, are given in, in that uh, Majjhima Nikaya Sutta. But actually to come back to the, very briefly, you know, to come back to the Buddhist point of view uh, regarding that, of course there is the nothingness of Samatha seen in the Ma and Chula Sunyata Sutta, but also there is the, 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 the Sunyata related to the vipassana and this is uh, uh, again a very uh, deep topic that i will not uh, explain to you but just uh, you can refer to the visuddhimagga and there they say they, they explain about the cheto animitta cheto vimutti that means the liberation of the mind through the perception the non-perception of signs so the person who is practicing uh, the vipassana inside practice based on impermanent because the person is seeing all the time impermanence whatever is 
putting its attention to, then these things don't have the possibility to form into an emitter. So it's called an anim emitter. So the, the mind has nothing to hold on. So because it's a, it's a signless, there is no sign there, then it is empty also. So it's a type of voidness. So the person who is practicing uh, mostly with the, with the anicca impermanent in the mind, then uh, it is said that uh, he will attain to the uh, unconditioned by way of, uh, like this is the three, three ways of liberation. So the first one is by practicing anicca, then the, it is the liberation by the desireless. So the, the person will, oh no, it is liberation by the, um, the signless, yes, yes, so uh, animitta, yeah, the liberation by the signless. But also, because the gateway to the liberation will be by the signless, animitta, they say that the, 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 the nibbana also will be signless, because the nibbana also is uh, animitta. The nibbana is not animitta. So, uh, the nibbana, here they describe the nibbana as uh, a sankata. Unconditioned, the unconditioned element. But uh, the way to it, and also the description of uh, of nibbana, can uh, can be many. So, uh, animitta or voidness. Actually, voidness. We are talking about voidness here. Sunyata can refer to not having uh, nimitta, animitta. So it can refer to the way, the gateway to the liberation to the nibbana. So. Animitta, Cetu Vimitti, this is a type of voidness. And uh, the Nibbana also is a type of voidness. So the second way to the, to the, to the, to the, to the Nibbana is if somebody practices uh, Vipassana uh, focusing on, on Dukkha, on suffering. So because the object is suffering, then the desire that the person will have towards anything will diminish. So. Uh, the so it is called the, the, the I forgot the poly the, it is called the desireless way to liberation. But also the attainment of nibbana will be an attainment of voidness. Nibbana, as such, can refer to voidness also. So this is the second way, hmm? and then the, but it's the same. It's the same except the the the, the, the difference. The emphasis is is different. And then the third way actually will be if you practice on anatta. So if you see every formations as being void of self, huh, when you practice anatta, then uh, then you enter into nibbana by way of uh, the void voidness. So it's called the voidness uh, liberation. Sunyata uh, vimokka. Sunyata vimokka. I think. Yes. The, the, yeah. So anyway, the details are in the in the Visuddhimagga on the chapter uh, 21 and uh, paragraph uh, seven, 67. Yes, I think it's enough for this uh, topic. So another question, could you take more, could you talk more about uh, signlessness <laughs> and, uh, and a method for contemplating it? So signlessness, animate, we have just, uh, you know, talk a little bit and uh, 
and uh, then a method for contemplating it. Contemplating it, there is a method actually in the one of the Majjhima Nikaya, and uh, the way to contemplate uh, the the signlessness, the animita, is by. Uh, you see here we come back again to the to the two aspects. That means the aspect of the gateway to nibbana and also the aspect of nibbana itself. So here they say, uh, what is the, the the method for contemplating, or what are the two conditions for the attainment of uh, the animitta cetu vimutti? So the first one is by non bringing to mind of all the signs. That means if you everything you are looking at, if you don't make an imitta, if you don't if you don't build up a sign by contemplating impermanence and things like this, then uh, then it's okay. Uh, so this is the way you, you 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 get it. And also by bringing to mind the signless element nibbana datu. So nibbana here also is referring to the signless element. So if you don't look at the, any signs, anything that 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 you see, if you just see the arising and perishing away of these phenomena, then you are looking at the, you don't bring to mind any sign. And also, if you are just aiming at Nibbana, then you are bringing to mind the signless element. So because the, the, the Nibbana is animitta, then you bring Nibbana to you. So this is how you do. Yes, also there are many other definitions of signless. Like that also is, is they, they, they give they can you can find about ten different ten reasons why that the contemplation of that is called the, the signless and I will not uh, uh, elaborate in that and uh, just to finish the question is Tiknatan says that the signlessness can also be seen uh, as no birth and no death so uh, the Theravada also see. Uh, the same, like uh, if you refer to that as Nibbana, then it's uh, Nibbana is the absence of birth and death. So now we are already late. So do you want uh, me to spend another five minutes with a few questions? Just we'll just finish them uh, fast, so it's a good excuse for me to. Uh <laughs> so anyway, uh, regarding the <laughs> regarding the the two different satipatthana bases of mind, you know the satipatthana, you know you have the citta citta nupassana and also dhamma nupassana. So these two bases, can you explain the difference? So the difference, I will say that. Uh, to you, you can consult. There are some books, you know, specialized in uh, Satipatthana. So you please read the details there. So, <laughs> huh? yes, good. <laughs> <laughs> and here also the same uh, person. Why does the mind need an object? So the mind, the mind uh, is also called uh, vinyana. Uh, so the word vinyana refers to mano, it refers to citta. So the word vinyana comes, uh, the verb also associated with vinyana is the verb uh, vinyati. So vinyati. So the word vinyati means to know. Is it vinyati or vinyati? Vinyati, yeah. So vinyati. 
So vinyati, that means knowing. So the, the knowing cannot, you cannot know nothing. You can know nothing. So as you have seen, <laughs> hmm? so, but still nothing will be something. So then the mind always knows some things. So because of that, uh, we say that consciousness depends all the time on an object to arise. Because the mind is always knowing something, all the time, even when it is sleeping. Like the Abhidhamma explanation about the sleep is that uh, the mind is in a state of bhavanga, the mind no- goes into the life continuum, and the life continuum of the bhavanga also is having an object. So the, the mind is depending on that. So this is why, uh, well, it's not a very uh, uh, logical, but it's, this is just how it is. Because it's knowing something, then then it has to it has to arise with what it is known. It is it has to arise with what it is knowing. So it has to arise with the with the object. Not very logical, huh? Anyway, that's how it is explained. Also here a very fast question. Follow Following up the brain, you know, there was a brain issue, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll not deal with all the issues we brought, you know, during the retreat, so... Please discuss the thoughts, concepts, and memory. <coughs> what is their base? So, the base uh, is the mind, so mind base. How are they conditioned? They are conditioned, you can look for the 24 patana, study them very nicely. Uh, truly and you will see that among these 24 conditions many of them deal with uh, with concept thoughts and memory so what role does the brain play uh, there so the, the the brain is just an organ supporting the nervous uh, system here uh, I will go fast could you tell us uh, more um, more most, more about the vasana tendency or habit. In which ways is this uh, different from karma? Is it the fruition of karma created in this life? There are examples in those uh, in the suttas of Vasana moment from uh, from one life to the next. How is this possible? What is Vasana? So Vasana is the is the is the uh, the habitual uh, from it is the habitual pattern that we give to our mind. So the tendency w- that we develop, the types of characters that we develop, uh, the translation, the Pali words for that is vasana, and uh, we can refer to that also, uh, like in the in the 24 conditions that we have seen. One is asivana, that means the uh, the condition of uh, of repetition, the condition of um, habitual uh, recurrence. So, uh, whatever we are doing, it builds into a pattern, it builds into an habit, and then that habit becomes uh, ingrained in ourselves, and it becomes to form our uh, temperament. So this is the, this is how it builds up. And also, the, our habits by themselves are kamma, because we are doing things. So, uh, Although we think we are doing the things because of uh, the habit, because of the, the continuity of the, uh, and also the continual occurrence of the same pattern, uh, although this is an action, 
uh, although this action is uh, is conditioned by the habitual recurrence of uh, of the pattern, still the action itself is a kamma. So that uh, action being motivated by the volition, it's also a present kamma. So although that the kamma is being done now by doing something again and again, although the action is being done now, and that uh, the action is also conditioned by past similar type of actions, still. Uh, the, 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 the accumulation of that pattern will lead us into, um, uh, will direct us into bad tendencies or, I mean, or good tendencies. So, whichever way our, uh, our habitual tendencies lead us, uh, they will be called uh, vasana. So, how is it different from sila, which also has the root meaning of uh, habit? So, this is true, like a sila. Sila means also habit, or it means, uh, I think mostly it means habit. So you have good sila and also you have bad sila. So, uh, so it's not, uh, sila also can be, uh, can be a type of, uh, like we can have the habitual tendency of doing good things. So sila also can be uh, ingrained in ourselves. So you have, see, you have some people, they are naturally inclined to observe the precepts, they are naturally inclined also to do good actions because they have done them from, from, from time again and again, you know, and not only in this life but also in previous lives. And the commentary, they just give the example of, uh, of uh, those who are aspiring uh, the Bodhisattva or, you know, those who are aspiring of uh, great ideals of uh, that demand uh, very strong paramis or perfections, then they have to practice these perfections again and again uh, from life after life. But uh, at a certain point, these perfections come to be their, their character. So, uh, so it is because of uh, well, the, 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 the recurrence and the, the repetition of these things. So just, uh, just a clarification that, uh, that I like to make here is that uh, the reference I made uh, with the music, you know, often I did use the music as a simile. So we have to remind ourselves that uh, the music in the Vinaya, uh, in, the, in, the, in the monastic discipline is not permitted. We cannot play music because it's a, it can be a distraction. Mm. But nevertheless, music itself can have, uh, like it is used as a, as a simile, in some sutta, like uh, the lute of sona, so the Buddha says, okay, now when you play your lute, you know, referring to the sona who was a musician before, then uh, if you play, if you if you if you are not tuned properly, then the the, the sound will not be uh, harmony, it will not be good. And then if you are tuned too, if it's too tight, it's the same thing. So uh, you should balance your strings so that you can play good music. So in that same way. If your faculties are balanced, then also uh, your meditation will be successful. Your practice will be successful. So the practice is being compared here with the music, with the with the performance of musical instruments. So, so it may not be that bad. Hmm. <laughs> and also, you know, you all know that uh, music. We have the belief that uh, music is uh, can refine our uh, manners. And this is true, like if you are people who are really agitated and 
or even people who are not so agitated, if you listen to good quality music, it can have an impact on your mind. So some music can be uh, positive for, for a spiritual uh, you know, uh, inclination, can be contemplative. But uh, music eventually is a distraction and also it can be... Uh, well, it can, be, it can be a distraction and also it can uh, keep us only on the central plane, on the central realm. So the, 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 the important thing is to make our mind harmonious and it is to make our mind uh, uh, like, like the music, that is like a symphony. So it was the, the symphony was just a metaphor. And also music, I would like to say that uh, music, um, if you compare that with uh, like Bach, you know, the, the composition that he made uh, with, with the organ, if you, if, you, if you try to figure out the mind that the person of that or that this person have, you know, to be able to master five, diff- ten different fingers on, on, on a scale of uh, two, bo- two or three boards, at the same time, together with your two feet, then it's quite, uh, it, it's quite demanding for concentration and also uh, how to manage all these things, you know, so that it's, uh, it's really uh, coming together. So, uh, so um, music is uh, also uh, very closely related to mathematics. I have a friend in Canada and... Uh, and uh, he's, he won one of the prize for the best uh, RP court, you know. But actually, it is his hobby. And uh, his real profession is a professor of mathematics in the university. So just to say that music has some aspect. And it's not in Buddhism. They don't speak too much about music. They say, no, no, because it's for the monks. And also, maybe in these days, music was not so developed as uh, we have it now. And also, music mostly... Uh, refers to the entertainment entertainment type of music, where it's just uh, you know entertainment and uh, not very conducive for the spiritual life. And also, when we practice meditation, at a certain point, we see that music is just the sound, and the sound is uh, another type of uh, vibrations that is just uh, tainted with impermanence. When we are seeing the impermanence of sounds then we are not caught up emotionally with what uh, it all carries with. And uh, the different music can have uh, connotations of, uh, of different types of emotion depending on the, the person who wrote uh, these uh, pieces of music. And really, you know, I think it's, uh, it's the last question and answer and uh, you will not forget it because I may... Another one? <laughs> So the last one, I will also deal with it uh, very fast. And uh, in some Dhamma teachers, this describe uh, the five consciousness as uh, never born and never dies. In that, Vijnana is... Um, so, yeah. so some people, they say that uh, consciousness never dies and is never born. So it, I think the translation there is maybe... Uh, anyway, we'll see because the uh, conclusion is, is the correct conclusion. So, the second point is that the vijnana consciousness is part of the five khandhas. And uh, Nibbana is the end of the five khandhas. No, uh, so, what goes to Nibbana? So, actually, nothing goes to Nibbana. 
So, and also the five, the vijnana is part of the five khandhas. So in the Vedanta uh, philosophy, in the Zen also, all this is uh, compiled, double speak. The, uh, here the, 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 the writing is not so clear. For of course it can only be the 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 five undefiled consciousness that attain nibbana. Yes, it is the the undefiled consciousness that attain nibbana. That is not uh, that is not born and is not dying. But uh, even that, I, I am not sure. So I think uh, this is really. The last question that is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are getting tired. <laughs> so I think it's a social, it is a subtle issue also, and I am not, uh, I didn't have time to look for the for the details. There is there is a quotation that refers to uh, a kind of luminous uh, consciousness, and then maybe also there is a state of mind, or there is uh, some uh, ayatana, or. Uh, sphere of consciousness that is not dying and, and not uh, and not being born and this refers to the nibbana itself so the consciousness that is experiencing nibbana could also be called uh, never dying and never uh, arising yes. but consciousness in itself is it's a very tricky uh, point you know in philosophy and uh, Buddhism definitely says don't say that there is a permanent uh, consciousness somewhere that is uh, stable on which you can uh, you can get absorbed in so we have to be careful uh, with these uh, definitions and also when it deals with uh, with translations also we have to find out okay now what is the translation referring to and then going to the text you know and then as much as possible trying to find out the original text and try to see it's possible to find the commentaries to the text and the commentaries you know uh, can 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 inform us a big deal of, uh, about what is the meaning because uh, if you just give a quotation uh, without the proper reference then the whole thing can be taken uh, quite aside from the original meaning so we can deviate a lot by misunderstanding the original teachings and we have to be careful about that so about that question you you just you just say that I did not reply to it <laughs> because I don't have time to investigate properly the, the all the details that it contains so I can make mistakes also so this is it for for today and also there was a last question also <coughs> again <laughs> So I really like uh, speaking, it seems. Huh? And the, quest the question, I even forgot it, but uh, I didn't forget. I, I don't know where I put it, but the question is, uh, will, there be will I give another talk on a Saturday? So the, qu the, the answer is that, uh, unfortunately for you, you will have to, uh, to listen again <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash
donate.